Hello and welcome to the second episode of Kentucky Politics, More Than Meets the Eye. I am your host, Adam Moore, and joined once again by Rachel Mancia, not Mancilla. Rachel, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well, Adam. Thanks so much for having me back on here. Absolutely. Um, We're recording this on Tuesday evening. Um, Any fun stories from your week you want to share before we dive into the politics, Rachel? Oh, gosh. I don't know about fun stories. We've had several different house issues pop up between broken heater and leaking pipe. But um, a positive thing I'll say is that I've just loved this beautiful weather. We've been out at the playground every day and it's just been so nice for February. So I'm very grateful for that. That, that's awesome. I always, uh, we keep a little bit of vitamin D in our house just to have during wintertime. And I just keep not having to take any because we keep getting outside. It's lovely. That's awesome. Yes. It's the best. Our, uh, my, fun, my fun anecdote for the week is we have a cat. Um, it's a rescue cat. Her name is Luna and she is an indoor outdoor cat. She has a little door. She can go inside. She can come outside. And apparently we're learning that like half the neighborhood feeds our cat. And so we really need to put a stop to this because no one knows that she's our cat. Apparently. Anyway, she has food and she can eat whenever she wants, but she likes to hunt and she's pretty good, but she's also kind of a lazy hunter in that she will get an animal. And while it's alive, that she will bring it into the house and then become bored with it. And then we have a live animal in the house that then we have to work to get out of the house. This is a, this is a fairly regular occurrence. And my favorite story of that from this week was her bringing a mouse into the house and then losing sight of it. And then uh, essentially, after a while, she gives up, takes a nap. And then my wife and son get the mouse out of the house. She wakes up from her nap. And then for the remainder of the day, just stares at that one spot where she remembers seeing the mouse, even though it's now been out of the house for hours. Oh, so my you, goodness. All of this is my adopting a, Yeah. If you're thinking about adopting a cat, just know you might end up with live critters in your house. It was a big fat chipmunk this morning, in case you were wondering. No, you're kidding. Well, I am not a cat gal, so I was not considering adopting, and now I'm considering it even less. So, (laughs) She's still wonderful. I'm sure she's adorable. (laughs) Well, let's get into the meat and potatoes. How about you lead us off? What's your local or state issue this week you want to talk about for us, Rachel? I'd love to talk about the CAR bill, which is SB13. CAR is an acronym that stands for Crisis Aversion and Rights Retention. And um, it is a gun safety bill that has been introduced in the in the Senate, in our Kentucky Senate, by uh, Republican Whitney Westerfield from the Western Kentucky area. Um, and it also has four other Democrat sponsors. And... Um, you know, gun safety and gun reform were my launching point for my political interest and journey. And I care very much that Kentucky passes safer gun laws in the years to come. And I'm really hopeful that we might see some action with the car bill. So crisis aversion and rights retention is a bill that's written for Kentucky as an audience. You know, like if we were in, um, some other state, a blue state, for example, we might be going after a different type of legislation. But the car bill, I think, really seeks to understand who Kentuckians are and what our needs are as it relates to gun violence. So the bill keeps gun owners in mind, because obviously we have lots of folks who own guns and use guns here in Kentucky. And we also know that in Kentucky, most, the majority of our gun deaths, about two thirds of them are suicides. Mm -hmm. So gun suicides account for the majority of gun violence in Kentucky. So if we want to talk about solving gun violence in Kentucky, we have to look at how to reduce gun suicide. 
And that's exactly what the Carr Bill strives to do. What it would do if enacted into law is give law enforcement officers a chance to remove a gun from a person who has been deemed to be in crisis by a judge. So we're at a place now where if, let's say, parents of a you know, 21-year-old, um, a 21-year-old who's going through a really tough time, whether they're exhibiting signs of any number of um, warning signs, um, those parents have no legal right to take a gun away from their son or daughter, you know, and this bill would give law enforcement the chance to intervene on behalf of those parents to ensure that that gun owner is not at risk in a moment of just absolute crisis. So it's really an opportunity to protect the gun owner, to protect families, um, and to reduce our gun violence in Kentucky. And a really important aspect of the car bill is that, of course, the rights retention piece, the gun absolutely is returned to the gun owner once the once the crisis has been averted. So it's a win. It would be, in my estimation, a win for everybody in Kentucky and would certainly reduce gun suicide um, and potentially gun homicide as well. So um, SB 13, definitely encourage folks to call your senators, but you can call the whole legislature as well and just leave a message and say, hey, I support SB 13. I think the bill deserves a hearing. I'd like to see it passed. You can leave that message on the LRC message line for all of our legislators, really hoping that they're going to discuss and debate the bill and give it a chance this year. So um, I'm hopeful for that. And last week, Adam, when we were chatting, I said that Advocacy Day was Tuesday, and I, I just totally misspoke on that. It's actually Thursday. So like you said, we're recording Tuesday night. So Thursday the 15th is Advocacy Day, and folks are going to be heading out to the state capitol in Frankfurt to advocate for CAR and other gun safety measures. So really hope folks can join there. Um, thanks for highlighting that for us and making that uh, correction. If if this goes out on Wednesday, now this is a new podcast and we may not have a lot of subscribers, but if you get this on Wednesday, then you can make your plans and go on Thursday to advocate for that at the state capitol. Um, I, this bill, I don't want to say it, it personally impacts me, but I do feel connected to it for two reasons. Um, my grandfather killed himself um, with, with a firearm. And you always wonder if if something like this would have happened, if, if my grandfather would have been around longer and if I could have known him better and if my family could have. And then secondly, I'm an Army veteran and the number one cause of death for veterans under the age of 40 is suicide. Um, and so it's just an important thing to me that we have the opportunity to save lives, but it saves the life clearly of that person, but the, the whole network of the family and the friends and everyone around that person. And when it's a young person, like an army veteran or military veteran under 40, you're not talking about saving someone's life for a few years. You're talking about saving someone's life for decades. Um, right. And that is important to me. Uh, you mind if I ask you a couple of questions on this bill also, Rachel? Sure, fire away. Do you know if it's been assigned to a Senate committee yet? I don't know. I'm so sorry. I, maybe we can update that later. I don't know. The last time that I checked, it had not. And I know that we were working to advocate for it to be assigned to Senate Judiciary Committee because Senator Westerfield chairs that committee. And obviously, he's the sponsor of the bill. But as of my last check, it hadn't been assigned to any committee that I didn't check today. Got it. No, I, my last check, but my last check was last week on it. And, and I did call and I did advocate for that to be assigned to the Senate Judiciary Committee. So that's kind of what I wanted to ping at is that if you're listening, you can call and you don't even have to 
I mean, tell them to pass it, absolutely. But if nothing else, tell them to assign it to the Judiciary Committee where we'll know it will get a fair hearing where Senator Westerfield is the chair of that committee. Absolutely. That's a great reminder. I think um, I don't want to belabor the point too much. I mean, clearly, you know, I'm in favor of this based on what I just said about my own grandfather and about my experience with my fellow veterans. I actually have on my national issue is another uh, topic that relates to uh, basically responsible gun ownership. So I'll kind of circle back around to there. So I'll kind of veer off now for my state issue. Also a Senate bill, hers is Senate Bill 13. The one I wanted to talk about this week is Senate Bill 10. Now Senate Bill 10 would actually amend the state's constitution. And what it would do is it would change the years that we have our state elections. By state elections, I mean not voting for people going to Congress, not just voting for the people around the state house, but the ones that we just had in 2023. You think about your, your governor, your treasurer, your auditor, um, those constitutional officers. They get elected right now in an off-year election. And the reasoning for that typically is that then that way the issues that are local are the ones that are run on. And so when we look at this, there's cases that are being made. Uh, what the bill would do is it would move it aligned with presidential election years. And that would go into effect in 2032. Right now, we just had the statewide elections in 2023. The next ones would be in 2027. And whoever gets elected in 2027 would all serve five-year terms under this bill, and then it would go to a 2032 election cycle, and then it would line up with the presidential election year. Now, there's some pros and there's some cons. The pros are very objective on this. It's easy to look at this and see the pros. There is higher turnout in presidential election years, that's more voters, and there is cost savings because now you're not running an extra year of elections every four-year cycle because you're running elections in 2023 that only impact those offices where they could be bundled into the existing election infrastructure in the even years. It's a, um, anticipated through the budget scoring that that would save about $20 million in those election years. So you're saving $20 million in today's dollars every four years. So that's the cost savings. And then you have a higher turnout. I went and I did the math. Um, the average presidential turnout in Kentucky over the last two elections, so 2016 and 2020, we had a little over 2 million voters, 2,029,171. And if we look at for those statewide races where Governor Bashir was elected in 2023 and in 2019 before that, 1,460,000. So we see that it would increase voter turnout. Now, again, the idea is that if we have those on the presidential election year, do national topics and national issues dominate the discussion, the ad spending, the media, where we don't even get to talk about what's happening in Kentucky? That is now the drawback. When Governor Bashir was running for re-election and we had you know, Mike Adams, who was running for Secretary of State, we got to talk about Kentucky issues. They could talk about what they did in Kentucky. We were not having to deal with advertisements from Joe Biden or from uh, Donald Trump or anyone who's running for Congress or for Senate. We focus on just these Kentucky issues. So I was thinking about, what if there was a compromise and they went to an even year, but the other even year, not on the presidential election year? So we're going to have a presidential election, of course, this year in 2024. It's going to be a big turnout. In 2026, our state will already hold elections. All of our state house representatives will be elected. Uh, all of our state house and state senate will be elected. A lot of our local offices will be elected. All of our congressional delegation in D.C. will be elected, as well as Mitch McConnell's seat will be up for re-election. So there will be a lot of races, and many of them are local. Again, the state house, the state senate are local. There will be some national focus with the con congressional races, the senate race that we have for McConnell's seat. But I always wonder if it would make sense to then move it to that even number year where I think it actually might increase turnout because now I did the numbers on that as well. If we look at 2022, 
in 2018, that off but even year election, we had an average of 1,523,000. So that is about 70 some odd thousand, I'm sorry, 63,000 more people voted than in the average just governor year. So we would have an increased turnout, but we might still be able to keep the focus on more Kentucky issues and not get drowned out by the presidential race and things like that. Again, I don't have a lot of data then on what that would be, but we can see what the turnout has been. We know what the money saved would be. So I would like to see kind of a compromise where we don't have basically the presidential races overwhelming and overshadowing our state races, but we still save that $20 million by moving those to the other even year elections. Rachel, any thoughts on that from you? Wow. Well, this is so interesting. I have to say that I absolutely loved in this last gubernatorial election cycle, as you say, how we focused on the Kentucky issues. I felt like it drew my attention as a Kentuckian to things that we're facing and decisions that we need to make in the upcoming years. Whereas I think you're right, if if that is being, sh- you know, kind of shadowed by a presidential election, it's just really hard to focus in on a statewide issue. So I have liked having those gubernatorial and other down ballot races in odd number years instead. But you make a really interesting point, And I actually hadn't heard anybody else say it um, about, you know, sticking to the even number of years where we've got our um, congressional seats up for grabs. But um, not having to kind of fight against the currents of a presidential race. I think that's a really interesting idea and would save money too. Like you said, it doesn't make sense financially, does it, to be running, you know, three elections in a four-year, you know, period. That that does seem like a lot and very expensive. So I love your idea. And I wonder, you know, is anybody, you? I feel like you've got your ear to the ground in Frankfurt more than I do. Do you feel like that idea is... Is anybody talking about that? Is that a possibility people are discussing or um, are they pretty sold on just lining things up with the presidential? Well, I tell you, I think that hopefully people will be talking about it after this goes out. As far as I know, this is an Adam Moore original. um, And I don't even know if I'd get in trouble with my own party. You know, I'm running as a Democrat. I don't even know if, if they would get behind something like that. But I do think it's a way to almost we have the pros and cons uh, of both ways. Yes, it saves money and it's one less election if we have it with the presidential election year. It's more money, but we can focus on those Kentucky issues that we have it on the odd year. I do think that it might bring a middle ground of that money saved without losing that Kentucky-based feel of the election. Yeah, I love that. Very interesting idea. I'm with you, Adam. You sold me. (laughs) All right. Outstanding. Well, um, whenever that gets proposed, if that becomes a House bill or a Senate bill, we'll do a follow up and we'll let you all know when to, to call your representatives or your senators in case that has an opportunity to go forward. All right. But that was my state thing. And then I want to toss it back over to you, Rachel. Do you want to hit your um, national issue for the week? Yeah, absolutely. So um, those who of us who follow politics will be well aware that last night, the you know the Senate at the national level passed an aid bill, this foreign aid bill that we've been talking about for months and months and months. Literally passed it around five a.m. They stayed up all through the night um, trying to get to this vote, and they were able to pass it. Um, the bill includes sixty billion dollars for Ukraine, fourteen billion in military assistance for Israel, nine billion for humanitarian aid that includes in Gaza. Um, almost $5 billion for Taiwan. So um, it, the reason that I wanted to talk about it on your podcast, though, Adam, is that we 
kind of had an interesting um, behavior from our Kentucky delegation. So our senators, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, have sort of differing foreign policy views. But Rand Paul, of course, is known as being somebody who's incredibly fiscally conservative, does not want to see one penny spent on really anything, anywhere, at any time. So, you know, naturally, not surprisingly, he was really opposed to this foreign aid bill. He actually went to the Senate floor to filibuster. I think he was on the floor about an hour trying to kill some time. And um, I pulled a quote. Here's what he said about it, because he knew that, you know, he wouldn't be able to filibuster indefinitely, but he knew he could push the vote back. He figured they could stall until 2 or 3 a.m. And as I said, they were it was 5 a.m. before the thing was passed. But he said, and I quote, this isn't about winning this vote. It's about showing America that we care about your sovereignty. We care about your tax dollars. And we think that the priority should be here. The priority should be our border. Our border, he said. This from a man who not five days before saying this voted no to advancing the border bill. We had a border bill that was going to address the southern border and and deal with this humanitarian aid and other aid that was needed. And he voted no. So this Mm -hmm. is just Rand Paul hypocrisy of the highest order. And I just could not be more frustrated with that man. So I'm really just here to vent, Adam. (laughs) But did you have any thoughts about what happened last night in the Senate? Well, as far as hypocrisy goes, that is not an isolated issue, just Rand Paul. I honestly think that that is why most Americans generally despise and we think that politicians are crooked. I say this as someone who's getting into politics, but it's the hypocrisy of it. Um, When someone gets labeled a flip-flop or this, that, and the other. But here's an opportunity that you've you've called out and you've brought the receipts to it as far as he's talking out both sides of his mouth. I think it was Senator McConnell even as well who said that they were going to make sure they get this immigration bill passed. And then he did not force it through because... You know, the orange man in charge said not to because he wants to run on it in November. And who suffers? Texas suffers. The border states suffer. It's not Ukraine suffering because of it. It's not Israel or Gazan suffering. It's American suffering because they they go back on their word and and they and they speak yet again out of both sides of the mouth, just contradicting themselves. So uh, now I I don't really have much to add because my feelings are very much in alignment. Uh, One thing to remind our viewers is that a lot of people said that they refused. These are the Republicans in Congress. We're going to refuse to pass any kind of bill that supported Ukraine or Israel unless they tied it to a border deal, border, uh, border security deal. And so what happened is that they tasked the Senate with coming with a bipartisan border deal, which you referred to. They came up with one. Then they decided that because. Donald Trump asked them not to pass anything so he can run on it. They chose not to to pass that border security deal. And now they're just passing this as a standalone, which literally now they've again, they've broken their own uh, verbal contract, their own right. world contract with the American people, which is which is frustrating. Now, Ukraine needs this aid. Uh, I think that we should be much more one sided on the side of Ukraine in this. There is literally a communist dictator aggressor who is started a land war in Europe as a power grab. And then there's one side who maybe is a flawed democracy, but is a democracy who's a trading partner is a country who's standing up to Putin and we should be supporting them. I know that if we can spend 1.5% of our nation's defense budget to essentially stop our greatest geopolitical threat of the last half century, it's a pretty good investment of our defense dollars. And something that people can be reminded of is that when we are funding this, 
what we're doing is we're basically saying we're funding things, new things to buy ourselves. We give the older stuff to Ukraine, the older Abrams tanks, the older missile systems, and we replenish our own supply with newer equipment. That's what we're buying when we say we're going to have these deals. We give $40 billion, We're basically budgeting ourselves to, to buy this much new equipment. And the equivalent of that is the old stuff we're going to give to Ukraine or we're going to give to Taiwan. And, and I think that also gets lost in the shuffle. Um, I can't really come out much stronger other than that. We really need to be supporting the defense of Ukraine against the invasion forces uh, of Vladimir Putin and Russia. Um, I think that we get into a lot more of a political gray area when we talk about Israel and Gaza. I think there's a lot of complications there, but I think you kind of hit what we need to talk about here today. And that's my uh, my two cents or maybe more than two cents on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I'm with you completely. I, I, I look at the Ukraine spending as like an insurance policy, like the idea of paying a little bit up front to support them so that we don't end up involved in a much bigger, much, much worse situation if Putin continues to march through Europe. So, you know, to me, it it makes complete sense. But I know that there's lots of different views on that. But I'm with you. I think, you know, 1.5% of our budget, our military budget is so small. And I didn't know that, as you say, you know, we're looking at just improving our own supplies and our mm -hmm. own defenses and kind of like giving leftovers to Ukraine. It really doesn't seem like very much to ask. And um, yeah, we desperately need to do that. All right. Well, that's something to call your, your congressman and call Rit, uh, call Mitch, call Rand about those things. Um, yeah. They probably will not answer you, but you can call them anyway. Right. Uh, I'm going to hit my national topic and, and we'll wrap it up for, for the evening. So mine was also, again, about intelligent firearms legislation, uh, intelligent, basically responsible gun ownership. Uh, have you ever watched the TV show? It's not it's not TV. It's HBO. Have you ever watched the HBO show The Wire, Rachel? No, never once. Tell me. Uh, it, it's great. You absolutely should. And the, okay. the Wire is it's fiction, but it takes place in Baltimore. And it's about the different aspects of things from law enforcement and drugs and crime. Anyway, this story got national news because of a quoting, uh, quoting the, the, the series The Wire by the actual court himself. So what happened? Why Supreme Court ruled last week that a person carrying a firearm in public without a permit can be prosecuted. Now, I get national news for two reasons, as it seems to challenge the U.S. Supreme Court. But also the HBO show The Wired was quoted in the unanimous decision. The quote that they used was the thing about the old days they the old days. And so that was literally the quote they used to talk about, of course, the Second Amendment being from 1792 versus 2023. And the argument that a muzzle-loaded black powder weapon in 1792 in a nation of 4 million people is just a different situation than an AR-15, a easily concealable handgun in a nation of 340 million people. Um, different times, different measures, essentially. What I wanted to call out this is, is not as using it to, to call for, for new gun laws, new gun legislation. I really liked, and if you follow me on, on social media, this one quote, again, from the unanimous decision. Let's see if I can find uh, this quote that I that is stored here. Yes, here we are. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness encompasses a right to freely and safely move in peace and tranquility. Laws regulating firearms in public preserve ordered liberty and advance these rights. And I just really agreed with that statement. Uh, I think there are those who believe that the second clause of the Second Amendment, those 14 words, just supersede the other 4,400 plus words of the U.S. Constitution. I know that if I was to walk into Panera Bread and someone came in behind me with an AR-15, I do not feel more safe. I feel much less safe and I'm leaving that restaurant. I do not Absolutely. want to be there. 
Right. Uh, I, I went to school at Murray State University. We have a, a legislation proposed. Now it's only in the Committee on Committees. Um, it's a person by who really just, I, I disagree with this person on a lot of things, but it gets put out there in legislation every year, but doesn't go anywhere. But to allow for the carry of weapons on college campuses and airports, I know if I was walking into a classroom in Murray State when I was a college kid and someone walks in behind me with a gun, I'm getting the heck out of there because we know what happens. We know the kids get shot. Absolutely. Um, so I really love that they, they, when they made this decision, again, unanimous decision in, in the Hawaiian Supreme Court, they weren't saying anything bad about the Second Amendment. But what they said is that the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness encompasses the right to freely and safely move in peace and tranquility. And I think that there are some of those in our society who think that those last words, those last 14 words of the Second Amendment, supersede all other rights. And I disagree with that. And I agree with what the Hawaii Supreme Court decided on this case. Um, and I think that we all should be able to look at these these issues with a little bit of nuance like they did. The right to keep and bear arms is enshrined in our conversation, but to responsibly keep and to responsibly bear those arms, such as everyone else around you can live in a safe society. We always hear that you know the only way to stop a bad guy with the gun is a good guy with the gun or the nra's argument that the more americans possess a firearm the safer we'll be lordy rachel if that was the case then we would be the safest country in the world by i don't know more than a country mile um exactly it's, not, yes. it's not what the facts bear out and that's it's just right. something to point light to here that's exactly right you know they've done lots of studies where they ask people to give some sort of commentary on their feeling of safety in a given situation and you know, whether, and then they can kind of like control and um, basically what am I trying to say that, you know, when you introduce a gun in this situation, gun owners feel more safe and non-gun owners, people who don't own guns feel less safe. So it's really interesting how, depending on whether you have a gun or not, you are going to have a different view of whether having a gun introduced into a situation makes you feel safer or not. And, um, it's just like it's a it's a very tough issue because those types of emotional responses are really hard to argue with. Even if we've got the data that says more guns equals more deaths, it doesn't matter to somebody who feels like, well, I know I'm safer because if a bad guy comes on my, you know, in my home, in my property, then I'm protected, even though we know that that doesn't actually pan out in terms of data, it's just really hard to convince people otherwise when they believe that so viscerally and emotionally. And that's why I feel like this issue is so tough in our country. But Adam, I do want to ask you a question about the Hawaii mm -hmm. Supreme Court decision. Do you know what law it was they were upholding? Like, I, I I'm assuming that, are you saying Hawaii had passed some kind of gun law and then the Supreme Court had to determine whether or not to uphold it? Is that what happened? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and I didn't go as too far into the weeds. I read a couple different articles about it, but I am not a law scholar myself. Now, the person who was arrested, he he, he purchased his weapon legally. He purchased it in, in Florida, I believe, and then brought it with him to Hawaii, and he was carrying it in public. It's my understanding that Hawaii's gun laws are that to carry a weapon in public, you must have a permit. So very similar. You can own a car, Rachel, without a driver's license, but you can't drive it. Right. Same idea. That's yeah. basically what Hawaii is saying about firearms. You can own a gun, but you can't drive it. You know, you can't bring it out unless right. you have a permit for it. And so this person was prosecuted for breaking Hawaii law. Now the person possessed the gun or purchased the gun and possessed it with their background, having been a Floridian 
And so that's where it kind of gets into state states rights and, you know, interstates, you know, interstates things and recognition of things uh, from one state to the other. And I think that's why it's getting national attention is this would be illegal in Hawaii, but not other states. And the person is not from Hawaii. So we'll be we'll be seeing if that gets appealed and it does go up to maybe a circuit uh, circuit court or some kind of appellate uh, bench. So I, I don't know. I don't think this is the end of it, but it's worth talking about. And I'm glad that it's that it's out there in the public discourse now. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gang, that, that's it. We try to keep it nice and tight here. We hit our state and our local issues. We hit our national issues. Uh, Rachel, thanks again for being with me again on week number two. Rachel's going to be taking off next week, so I'll have someone else on here with me. So I'm excited about that. But y'all, please always make sure to uh, subscribe if you can. If you follow us on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, on what's the other one? Spotify rate five stars that helps new people discover this and that way we can kind of take off not for our own game but just hopefully to you know make sure we're getting this information out there to as many kentuckians or people outside the bluegrass as possible thanks again and we'll catch you next time bye bye See you later.